Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's podcast, we are talking more about PCOS for PCOS Awareness Month and specifically focusing on lean PCOS diet and nutrition. This episode is filled with lots of tips to help you if you are somebody who is dealing with PCOS, but if not, there's a lot of tips in here for anybody who is working on their overall health. This is a loaded episode. Hope you enjoy. Did you know that 87% of teenage girls received a say no to sex type of sex education? Unfortunately, most of us did not receive a quality sex education, and that is why I created the Sex Ed You Wish You Had, which is a comprehensive adult sex education. 73% of women are still confused about what a vulva is, according to HuffPost, and I find that so many women don't know proper genital terminology, they don't know the basics of their hormones, the different birth control options or even lubricants, toys, and other pleasure-enhancing products that are available. And that is why I created this comprehensive sex ed to help all women get the basics of their sexual health and understand their bodies more. After the sex ed you wish you had, you are going to feel empowered as a sexual being and feel knowledgeable about how your body works. If you're listening to this and you are thinking about how you really wish you had more information about sex and sexual health, then this is for you. September is Sexual Health Awareness Month, and I am offering the sex ed you wish you had all month long. This is a self-paced program to help you understand your body more. This is for you if you received an abstinence-based, shame-based sex ed, or just no sex ed in period, or just no sex ed at all. You desire to understand the basics about your body and sex, and you want to feel confident as a sexual being, or you are wanting to start your sexual exploration journey. I can't wait to see you in the sex ed you wish you had. If you'd like to learn more, go to jordandanelle.com backslash sex ed. Can't wait to see you there. Joining me today is Dr. Monique Brown. She is a OBGYN practicing in Jamaica, and she really focuses on helping women with PCOS. I'm so excited to chat with her more today about this topic and explore how our nutrition impacts PCOS and our lifestyles. All right, Monique, I'm so excited to chat with you here today more about PCOS and specifically like lean PCOS and diet and PCOS. On last week's episode, we talked a lot about traditional PCOS and the diagnosis criteria for that. So I'm so excited to take a little bit of an angle here and talk more about this. So what exactly is lean PCOS? Okay, so that's an awesome question, and I know we, I know we spoke about it earlier, but I just want to get a little bit more clarification on it. First, it's understanding what PCOS it is itself, which you already spoke about. It's a hormonal or endocrine problem which affects women in their fertility years, basically their childbearing years, and the classic PCOS 
tells us the bearded woman type of story versus lean PCOS, it's not the traditional appearance. So lean PCOS is now where we find PCOS in women that are of a normal BMI or not overweight or obese. And that BMI typically is around 25 or less. So these persons typically are deemed normal or healthy because they don't have the classical appearance. And just to expound on that a bit, we said the bearded woman, which is the hirsutism facial hair, the persons who might be overweight or obese, and then they might even have the hormonal acne. Sometimes these persons with lean PCOS might not have any of these symptoms. So that is one of the reasons why they are deemed lean, because they're smaller, they're not obese or overweight, but they might still have some of these symptoms, or they might not manifest any of those physical appearances, but have an ovulator cycles. So when I was in PA school, we only talked about PCOS and I never learned about lean PCOS, even working in a gynecology office during school, never heard of lean PCOS. And my first exposure to it was working in a fertility clinic. And so I'm curious, like where and like, when did we start recognizing this phenotype of PCOS? So I think first is to understand why we haven't really spoken about PCOS, lean PCOS in that form. And it's more along the line of because more persons attributed having PCOS to being obese or overweight. So there wasn't much highlight or much information being divulged when it came came out to lean PCOS. And because it it doesn't fit the traditional scope, most persons with lean PCOS went undiagnosed, which tend to be one of the main problems why it wasn't highlighted. Now, in more recent years, there have been more investigations, more doctors being more adamant about their plants, lifestyle and management. That's how we started realizing that these persons with you know, normal BMIs are having high insulin levels or elevated testosterone levels and hence the diagnosis of PCOS, lean PCOS being more manifested. Yeah. Okay. And so how do you manage lean PCOS differently than traditional PCOS? So for PCOS on a whole, I like to look at the holistic patient. When it comes to PCOS management, it's important to note that each patient is going to be different. It depends on what they really come with, what problems, concerns, what their symptoms are. So it should always be a customized approach for anyone that comes into you, whether it's lean PCOS or the classical PCOS. But for lean PCOS, we need to remember that 70% of persons with PCOS on a general has insulin resistance as their main driver. That's one of the main problems that is going to be contributing to their symptoms. And studies have shown that for lean PCOS, it is the same thing, that they have insulin resistance as one of the main drivers. So yes, finding out what the main driver for their PCOS is with lean PCOS is very important, but it also boils down to treating the insulin resistance, right? And for 
someone with lean PCOS, I think being more aware of how often you're spiking your blood sugar levels, how your nutrition, your diet, lifestyle modifications have taken into place would be instrumental in controlling your PCOS at that point. So you brought up something about like the insulin being elevated for women who have PCOS. One thing that I find interesting is that the Rotterdam criteria, it doesn't include that. You know, we're looking at polycystic appearing ovaries. We're looking at hyperandrogen symptoms. So the excess hair growth, maybe male pattern balding. And then we're also looking at anovulation. Why does the Rotterdam criteria not have that? Or like, how do we use that in diagnosing a PCOS? Because it, it's not. So my diplomatic answer, remember, it's a syndrome and this is what they would have used to diagnose PCOS based on what they would have studied in the population back in those years. Now, they wouldn't have, maybe they wouldn't have had enough research done to also check for the insulin levels and also the levels of the blood sugars versus just having testosterone or the appearance of hyperandrogenism. So it's important that our patients and a lot of the doctors do understand that insulin resistance is a big factor, whether it's lean PCOS or it is, you know, the classical PCOS. But I don't think they will be modifying it right now at any point in time. So it's to take it with a grain of salt that yes, you need two out of three symptoms from the criteria to diagnose PCOS. But you should also be wary that insulin resistance tends to be one of the main factors, even though it's not, it's not a term that is typically used among doctors, since there's not a prescription that we give for it. But it's still something to be very much aware of, and a lot of our clients need to be aware of so that they can get tested. Because in, in certain areas of the world, they can have their insulin levels checked. Versus in Jamaica here, we don't have that luxury, but yeah. Yeah. And so with like PCOS and management, you know, we want to look at what's what their symptoms are, what's driving their PCOS. What are some ways to manage insulin levels in particular? That's an awesome question. So when it comes to insulin resistance or high insulin levels, nutrition tends to be the main factor and someone might curse me out but you know a lot of the food that we eat it's slowly killing us I'm so sorry to say that but it's the truth so we need to be more mindful when it comes to what we're consuming when it comes to insulin resistance and the first factor is sugar we do have a problem with sugar addiction and my personal take is I know it's hard Let's start off with weaning off sugar first. We could try a substitute like stevia or monk fruit. Those are healthy substitutes that don't spike your blood sugar levels, which is one of the main problems that causes the insulin resistance. You continuously spike your blood sugar levels, hence you have continuously high insulin levels. Now, sugar is quite inflammatory also. The next thing is having wholesome meals. If we could have better wholesome meals instead of having snacks, fried bread and all those other commodities that we tend to have, that would be a better option to reduce insulin levels. Having 
around 25 grams of fiber daily. Fiber is the buffer for blood sugar levels, helps to control your blood sugar spikes and insulin levels. That's another very important factor to look into. If you do something as simple as having more greens, more veggies and fruits with your meals, you will have better blood sugar control. And I typically teach my clients who are a bit iffy about being on diet to have half their dish being vegetables of some sort. Then they have their protein, which is half of the other half, which is a quarter. And then the other quarter, they have a complex carbohydrate. So now we're having more complex carbohydrates, which won't spike your blood sugars as fast. So something like sweet potato or quinoa, you know, these are healthy alternatives. Reducing your intake of processed foods, because we do have a high consumption of processed foods. I'm not sure what you guys have, but we have like a lot of persons who love burgers and KFCs in Jamaica. So those are a lot. Reduce your snacking. And I also recommend a short fast, short intermittent fast, anywhere from 12 to 14 hours. Of course, this is always something that's best discussed with your doctor, depending on your individual problem, because I'm not sure. I'd, I'd love it if you run it with your doctor first, especially if you're on any medications, right? And doing some type of resistance training. So it could be body work, body weight exercises, squats, glutes. If you're not at that level as yet, going for a 20-minute walk, you know, getting some vitamin D in the sun makes a significant difference when it comes to insulin levels and reducing your blood sugar levels. So, yeah, those are just some very simple, easy steps that we could take right now to start controlling insulin resistance. Yeah, I love that. And that's what I talk to a lot of my patients about as well. You know, a non-insulin spiking diet, getting some physical activity. And when it comes to like the complex carbs, I love I love that you ca- talked about that a little bit more or that you had brought that up. Complex carbs don't spike your insulin the way that simple carbohydrates do. Simple carbs is going to be your white rice, your white bread, your white pasta, your donuts, your iced tea, your pop, things like that, where complex carbs, some of my favorites are brown rice, whole grains, oatmeal. You mentioned sweet potatoes, quinoa, lentils even are going to be more of a complex carb. So you have some variety. Like You don't have to eat like just the same thing every day. There is the room for variety still, but we're managing our blood sugars at the same time. With something like this, like a lifestyle change. Is this short term? Like you do it for a couple of months and then you're good to go? Or is this something that you really need to maintain for the rest of your lifetime or at least through your reproductive years? Well, for me, I teach my clients to consider it a lifestyle change. So we are equipping them with the skill set and understanding the tools to make it adjustable that They can go out in the regular world and they can go to dinner, they can go to a party and they can make the best decision for their hormone and insulin levels because this is a lifestyle change. It's not get slim or a fad diet, as they put it. It's not do this for six weeks, do this for three months and then everything 
goes back to normal and I eat junk every day. And I am very holistic. I like to know that you have taken the approach to become a healthier version of yourself altogether. And if you go back to regular, well, I suppose it's the right way. So if you go back to traditional eating habits that aren't the best, then we go back down the same downward spiral that we're trying to get out of. And then it just becomes more demotivating because you would have lost the weight, gained it, lost the weight, gained it. And most persons end up giving up versus sticking to this structure and having it being a bit more adjustable where you can go out in the real world and know what is best for you and make those small changes. If you have a slice of bread from time to time, it's not going to it's not going to be that detrimental, but it's being more aware. So awareness and mindful eating is very important in this. So yes, it is a lifestyle change. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up. They're like, sometimes, yeah, if you have a dessert once a week, once a month, that's not the end of the world. But if you have dessert every single day with every single meal, now we're really going to have a problem. One thing I'd love to point out, so I don't know if you know this, I know the listeners know this, I work in a fertility clinic. I'm a PA, I work in the fertility clinic, and with insulin in particular, what that does is that feeds the hyperandrogen symptoms, that feeds the problems with PCOS from like a hormonal metabolic standpoint. And so if we're not managing the insulin, and like you mentioned, 70% of women with PCOS have insulin resistance. So if we're not managing that, we're driving the PCOS symptoms. We're going to be driving the irregular cycles. We're going to be driving the hair growth. We're going to be driving all these other things. One thing I wanted to mention with like intermittent fasting that you had brought up too, in like the setting that I work in, we actually recommend staying away from that because we're attempting to conceive and... Mm -hmm. Intermittent fasting hasn't been tested on menstruating individuals very well. There might be a study here or there, but we don't really know how that affects hormones. So from a fertility standpoint, we always say stay away. But for women who are maybe not on a fertility journey, who are just managing their PCOS symptoms as part of their lifestyle, maybe something that works for them. So absolutely, like you said, talk to your doctor. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Are you shopping for a new toy? I want to tell you about this new toy that I discovered that I'm absolutely in love with. It is the Tracy's Dog OG Pro 2. This toy is a powerful two-in-one clit-sucking vibrator stimulating both your G-spot and your clitoris simultaneously where you are going to have a mind-blowing orgasm faster than ever. Let me tell you, the first time that I used this, I pretty much went to heaven. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's where I went. It was so amazing. This is the upgraded version of the original viral version, and it comes with a remote. So it's a hands-free blended orgasm that will leave you gripping your bed sheets. This suction vibrator clitoral toy is waterproof, so you can use it anywhere you want. The bathtub, shower, hot tubs, jacuzzis, whatever floats your boat. It's super soft, beautiful, and it's a great toy for all people. Hope you go check it out and enjoy. To get your own OG Pro 2 toy, go to tracysdog.com. I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. And as I said, it's a short fast. So it, this is more towards persons who are waking up in the middle of the night to eat, you know, that 
yeah, that tends to become more of a problem. So if you stop eating at 7 p.m. and you get up at 7 a.m. and then you have something to eat, you would have done a short fast. That's 12 hours. That's, that's short, but that's pretty long for most of us. So, yeah. You're so right in that we a lot of times make it like, oh, it's this long fast. But no, really, no, definitely not. just overnight, like overnight, it don't get up and snack. Be just good, healthy. I don't want I hate using the word healthy, but good eating habits will help with all of that. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. Thank you. With PCOS, is that something that is cured or in in like goes away? Or is this something that like for your lifetime you are managing and dealing with? Unfortunately, I have to be the bearer of bad news. So there is no cure for PCOS. So once you've gotten the diagnosis of PCOS, it, it is a diagnosis that stays. However, there is the possibility of controlling your symptoms to the point where you have no symptoms whatsoever, where you would have controlled your PCOS to the point where you have regular periods, you have, you know, you're ovulating, you get pregnant, your hirsutism has completely or been minimized, your acne is under control, your belly fat, weight loss, all of those goals would have been met. So technically speaking, you might see it as a you might see it where you went back and your blood results are to normal and you're like, oh, do you even have PCOS? But the diagnosis still stays. However, you can reverse majority of the signs like and symptoms. Yeah. And when you start treating the root cause of the problem, Definitely. you are able to address these and have some changes, which actually brings up a really good point. You know, addressing the root cause. I know you have a very holistic approach to medicine. I've been following on your Instagram and things. And a lot of Western medicine is not necessarily treating the root cause. It's more so of treat the symptom and go from there and see what new problems you have and then treat those symptoms or problems from that. What are some really good ways to treat PCOS? Uh, Like say you have some of the other symptoms, hyperandrogen or and ovulation, you're not ovulating. Other than diet and exercise, do you have any other recommendations? Yeah, definitely. So we can, let's talk about maybe the hirsutism. So that's the excessive facial hair. Something as simple as we could start topically, which you have laser therapy, you have electrolysis, you have waxing. I've heard quite a number of my clients said that Squeezing helps. Not sure if I could recommend that as a a very efficient option, but it depends on how bad your hirsutism is. Then there have been studies to show that spearmint tea has been quite effective in in reducing hirsutism and the high androgen level. So that's something that you could take into consideration. When it comes to the concept of not ovulating, it definitely does depend on what the driver is. So if it's insulin resistance, it's treating the insulin resistance with lifestyle, nutrition, exercise. Those are very big factors. There are supplements that you could possibly take. But again, I don't like to throw supplements out unless you speak to your doctor. (laughs) Just because, right? And for ovulation, remember, you, you could have thyroid 
problems. You could have high levels of testosterone. These are other factors. So it depends on what typically is going on there. Now, as you rightly said, the insulin resistance tends to be a major factor. So I like to talk about that a lot because lifestyle, nutritional changes make a very big impact. There is the concept of managing your stress level because stress, anxiety, and depression, those are extremely high in the population. So reducing your stress by being more aware, being mindful of how you're feeling throughout the day, meditation, I am an advocate for meditation, having better sleep, sleeping from seven to nine hours per night, which helps to reduce just that groggy, fatigued, tired feeling that you get in the mornings. Supplementations are there when it comes to improving your sleep at night. But I like to start off with just putting down the phone and turning off the television, trying not to have any stimulants at least four hours before bed. So maybe your last cup of coffee would be midday. I prefer if we switch coffee to green tea, but if you're a coffee lover, I guess reducing your coffee intake to like one cup and then gradually weaning is an option. So yeah, improving sleep, that's important and that will help with weight loss, fat loss. We know this already. You have more energy in the mornings. For ovulation, inositol has been pretty well studied there have been pharmaceuticals such as metformin, which helps to sensitize your body to insulin. If you are trying to ovulate, I would tell you to speak to your doctor about starting inositol. It's very safe and it's the, I think it's one of the most studied supplement when it comes to PCOS currently. And it's known to improve fertility, improve the quality of your eggs, also help with weight loss. So there are a lot of significant benefits reducing cravings, typically a first go-to supplement for PCOS. Yes, that's the one that I primarily start with for a lot of my women is myoinacetol. And a lot of women say that they tolerate it really well, but then will notice their periods start coming back because it's helping manage that insulin resistance. And when you tackle that insulin resistance from multiple angles, from diet, exercise, myoinacetol, potentially even metformin, you can have potentially good results with that. And you had brought up stress. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about like the stress and how that impacts life, really, like everybody, not just women who have PCOS, but everybody. What happens with stress in the body is it increases your cortisol level. And then overnight, when your cortisol level is high, your body's in this flight or flight response. And then you're not really getting restful sleep. And then what happens is it just compounds and your your body's never able to rest mm-hmm. and it's always high levels. And can you speak more to that or do you have anything you'd like to add to how cortisol impacts everything? Yeah, sure. So one the thing is cortisol is literally called the stress hormone. And as you said, uh, we need a little cortisol in our life. We do, right? However, Chronically high levels of cortisol results in belly fat. There's this picture that they teach us in medical school where you have the fat hump at the back, you have the moon face, you have the limbs with striations, and these are all signs of high cortisol levels. You have 
high blood pressure levels, you have an increased risk of having high cholesterol levels because of these high cortisol levels that you have just running around. And yes, it definitely affects a lot of persons with PCOS because they do have cortisol as one of the main hormones that are also out of whack. But something as simple as you wake up in the morning after going to bed, maybe having seven or nine hours of sleep and you're still tired, you feel grumpy, you have a lot of belly fat, you find that you're waking maybe after two or three hours, you get up at three, two o'clock in the morning, can't sleep. These are all signs that we aren't managing our stress levels well and we aren't managing our stress hormone, cortisol. So these are all factors. We might push it to the side because unfortunately in modern day society, nobody really talks about stress management that well. And maybe if you say that you're stressed, they'll look at you a bit differently. But it's something that we need to take into consideration because there are a lot of long-term effects you know, that can result from these high stress levels and especially the chronically high cortisol levels. So it's definitely something to start taking into consideration. I like to talk about meditation, deep breathing exercises, just getting up and going outside, taking a walk, being in the sunlight, being in nature, doing something that you love. These are all simple, effective techniques that anyone can start right now to start reducing their stress levels. Yes, I love that. And you just gave me the idea to have a podcast about stress management because I haven't yet. And I definitely can kind of relate when you say some people don't even recognize their stress because there's many times where I'm so stressed that I don't even know that I'm stressed. And it takes other people pointing it out to realize that. And I think a lot of other people kind of are in that same boat where they don't even recognize that their stress level is through the roof and how it's impacting them. The other thing I wanted to mention when you talked about supplements, CoQ10. Are you pretty familiar with CoQ10? Yeah, a little. A little. There's some new research coming out that's talking about CoQ10 helping from a insulin resistance standpoint and helping with like metabolic panel at a little bit higher doses. I know for me, when I have patients that don't tolerate metformin, I usually give them a little bit higher dose of CoQ10. And that's another like supplement that's over the counter that is potentially worth trying. But as always on this podcast, talk to your provider. Don't take our recommendations without running them by whoever's prescribing you things to make sure that it's safe. But it is one that's worth potentially looking into too. So I'd also like to add magnesium. It's not a supplement that we talk about a lot. Possibly my favorite supplement when it comes to hormonal imbalance overall. And I realized we didn't speak on it. So magnesium, and I'll tell you, magnesium glycinate is one of the better options when it comes to being absorbed in the body. So try and get that one. Now, magnesium helps with your neurotransmitters. It helps you to sleep, keeps you calm, relaxes you. And that's a big factor. Getting magnesium from an external source tends to be better because our traditional diet actually omits a lot of magnesium. So we end up going around having PMS symptoms because we're not even getting enough magnesium in our bodies. And it's such a very cheap, it's so affordable, it's readily available over the counter. It's something that I believe 
everyone should try adding magnesium to their supplement list. Now, of course, speak to your doctor before you start it, but it, it's very safe and it's something that we shouldn't be getting from our diet if we were consuming enough of you know our, our vegetables, the green leafy objects that we're supposed to be getting on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, if we're eating that nutrient-dense diet. And you reminded me, you know, I have magnesium and I worked with a doctor who once said that like everybody's pretty much deficient in magnesium. And you reminded me I haven't taken mine in a while, so it's probably time I go go take some. Open that bottle up again. Definitely. And since we're talking about deficiency, important to add, persons with polycystic ovarian syndrome, there have been research to show that they have high possibility of having vitamin D deficiency. So get some vitamin D from the sun. That's always the first place I'll tell you to get it. And it's as simple as going for a walk. Yes, 15 to 30 minutes, get some sunlight being out there. You can wear your sunscreen. No, you can't get it from standing near a window. You have to get it directly from the sun. There are also vitamin D supplements that you could take, a vitamin D3 supplement. But I would always tell you to speak to your doctor about that one. Well, I'm glad that you brought up vitamin D. I actually worked with somebody who, she's so funny. She said that you couldn't get enough vitamin D from the sun by being outside naked for 24 hours. And that really like most of us need, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in Jamaica, so you have maybe a little bit more sun, a little bit more intense of the sun, but a lot of places just don't even have enough sun for us. And most people do need supplementation in, you know, standard supplementation is 2000 IUs daily. And I have had some patients who have really high vitamin D because they're taking higher doses than that unmonitored. So again, talk to your provider and make sure that you're doing it safely for you and that you, you do need it. But most people do need vitamin D too. So I love that you brought that one up. Are there any other like supplements or anything else that you want to share with us about PCOS? There are lots of supplements on the market and I think we'll be here all night. But I would like to say, if you don't think your doctor is guiding you along the path, there are naturopathic doctors, depending on where you are, that you could always reach out to. I'd like you to be more aware of what we consume on a day-to-day basis. This has been such a wonderful episode, Dr. Monique. and I'm so glad you were able to join me to have this conversation. I appreciate you taking the time out and chatting with us. For the listeners, if you are interested in learning more about Dr. Monique and what she does, you can check out her Instagram, Dr. Neek. So D-O-C-T-O-R-N-I-Q-U-E on Instagram and on TikTok, you can find her at Dr. Neek. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing with desire and arousal concerns 
or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner. If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me, and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Donnell, go to coaching.jordandonnell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.